Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. All right, this is a show uh, that we do. Uh, we do a version of the show now pretty much every year, and I look forward to it. Kind of the way you look forward to maybe a picnic or something with certain family members that may get out of control. I look forward to it with a measured apprehension. Um, and so what we have done, uh, we did it, I think, for Ghostbusters and for Wonder Woman, and now we're doing it for Ocean's 8, is uh, expand the size uh, of our Friday afternoon cultural roundtable to include as many of our women panelists as are willing to show up on such a day because it's Ocean's 8 day today. And so we had seven. We had a last-minute scratch here, so we're down to six uh, panelists. That's still a lot. Uh, and uh, let me tell you Two who nostrils. they are. Two nostrils. Yeah, yeah, so <laughs> Three, three nostrils. Three, six nostrils. <laughs> Actually, 12 nostrils. Yes. <laughs> That's enough. But All it's right. a double nose. We knew, we knew what you were trying to do. Yeah. <laughs> but you didn't really have the whole sort of nose right. to nostrils I, ratio. I didn't think it out. Out but very we quickly. teach English. That's so we, I, I should say the person that you just heard talking was Irene Papoulis, uh, who teaches writing at Trinity College, and she is a pickpocket. Uh, Rebecca <laughs> Castellani is a scholar of modern literature and a hacker. Uh, Tracy Wu Fastenberg is director of development at Covenant preparatory school and a talented fence of stolen merchandise. Um, and Elizabeth Kiefer is a professor of English at Trinity Community College. Tungsis. What Tungsis? What did I say? Trinity. Trinity. Oh, Tungsis. <laughs> Begin with a T. All right. Tungsis Community College. She's, Go, she's just out of prison and looking for revenge. Um, <laughs> Vivian Martin. I'm burning out of Casper. So we have to remember the rest of the hour. Oh, Vivian Martin is the chair of the Department of Journalism at Central Connecticut State University. Uh, she works for her parents, uh, and she's dying to get out and learn how Tinder works. Um, <laughs> And so who does that like, who's, who's left? Who's left? Who's left on the cast? Kate. I know, I know who's left from this thing. I'm thinking, who's left? Who's you know, the, the archetype? Oh, you skateboard? No, no, I already did a hacker. I did a hacker. I did a, I did the pickpocket. Uh, I don't know. I don't know who's the left. Fence? Kate, Kate yeah. Russian. No, I oh, did the that suburban one. housewife. Yeah, no, that's the fence. All right. I, I bungle this. Maybe you're Kate Blanchett. The vodka okay, water yeah, downer. That's right. Kate uh, Russian is a, a poet who teaches uh, writing and literature for Hartford Youth Scholar. She runs a bar. She waters down the vodka. <laughs> she wants a motorcycle. And, it's all sounding good. Right. Um, so anyway, uh, I tried to assign some Ocean's 8 uh, archetypes to these archetypal women. Uh, but we're not going to get to that just yet. We have some things to talk about before we get to Ocean 8. Um, I'm going to begin by just telling a little personal story, which I will get in a tremendous amount of trouble for telling. I am basically risking my life to tell you this story. Um, so in March, I was uh, shopping in New York City with my significant other, uh, whose name I never mentioned, uh, and at her request. And my significant other is very, very, very fashionable. I mean, when I see her walking through a crowd, I think people probably think that is some movie star who's in Ocean's 8 or something like that. Um, but for some reason, she wanted she – wanted what would more or less have been considered at one point a fanny pack. Um, and so – but she wanted to sort of wear it on her front. Anyway, we went into the coach <laughs> outlet, the coach bag outlet, the one that's in Soho, which is like super, super fancy. And we were just 
she was trying to describe what she wanted, but she couldn't quite bring herself to say the word or the phrase fanny pack. So that was like kind of my job, you know. She would go, I, I want something that's smaller than a purse. It's like you'd maybe put it on your on a belt, like at your waist or something. And I would go, she wants a fanny pack. And everyone would like stare at me like, oh, no, no. But then we did some research afterwards or she did some research. And it turns out the fanny pack is back and it's actually kind of a fashion trend. They're calling it a belt bag. They're calling it uh, lots of different things. Uh, and uh, and then I, I was drawn to a piece since we are Wonder Woman friendly here uh, about the fact that Chris Pine apparently will be wearing a fanny pack or a belt bag or something in the next installment of Wonder Woman. So uh, so we have four people, four of our six panelists are sitting here around the rim. So we're going to start them out on, fin, uh, on fanny packs. And we won't have a lot of time. But, uh, but I'll start over here with uh, you, Elizabeth. You at least uh, seem to know what I was talking about as I was going well, along. Well, fanny packs have been coming back for a number of years. They started selling them at places like Walmart in the 80s, popping neon colors. But that was maybe four years ago they yeah. started selling them again. And then I saw the, the kids wearing them. So yeah. it has really been coming back for a little while. And Kate yeah. Russian, you have a Kente... Do you, have, do you own more than one? We're not going to call them fanny packs, no, right? No, now I can call that this a an authentic, v- a vintage, hand-woven Ghanaian kenti cloth belt bag. Right. <laughs> a mouthful. I mean, uh, of the nose panelists, you certainly accessorize better than I think we would all agree. Yes. Yes. Leading yes. accessorizer. Well, you know, we, I, had, I had to dress. People bow down. Because a woman cannot live by fanny pack alone. So I had to dress to make this look good. Right. So, I mean, Irene, um, uh, two of our panelists, uh, Tracy and Rebecca, are not at liberty to speak right now because they don't have microphones. But they were they suddenly got all, you know, their consciousness about this all got raised like two seconds before showtime. And they were yelling about the fact that pockets, women just don't have enough pockets. Yeah. Well, but I have to start by saying that maybe it's because I'm older, but to me, fanny packs just are hideous. You know, it's sort of like (laughs) dowdy. It's the woman. I just got back from Europe and I just feel like when I think of a fanny pack, it's the it's the American that you don't want to be at the airport who's wearing mom jeans and a fanny pack and an old T-shirt and sneakers. And you say, like, why did she why did she come to the airport like this? You know, couldn't she have tried a little bit? And that's what I think of when I think of a Right. Yeah. Yeah. like Kendall Jenner has like eight different fanny packs, but she it's doesn't wear just, them on her fanny. That's the key. Yeah. So, and, but even when they wear it in the front, I don't know. I mean, Kate makes it look extremely elegant. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I guess, and if they may, if Coach makes them, you right. know, I. And hers is that's not a, the bulgy kind. Hers is no, a that's flat. the flat fanny right. pack. It's the right. So it's the flat ones that are better. I don't know, but yeah. What <laughs> what else are we gonna? You know, purses. You know, maybe you don't want to carry a purse. Hey, you want to have your, your arms free. free for your walker. Backpacks. You know. Your walk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Both hands are available walker. to hold your walker, so you gotta have your fanny pack. All right, you're not yet. Vivian, you're up. And I well, know you have almost no opinion about this. I, I, you're right. But first, I do want to put out a warning that it's really not a look. Um, I think okay. Irene was going there, and it doesn't work for everybody. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know we're not using the word fanny, but, you know, you need a fanny for it. Really. I mean, you, your fanny can't be too big to pull it off because it just not, it's not secure. Or too small, and it exactly. slides right down your exactly. back. Exactly. <laughs> so it's not really for everyone. And, and yeah. at least one member of our panel today is in a position where the front place is not really available for right. rental right exactly. now uh, by, a, by a belt bag exactly. because Tracy is, uh, there's somebody else living there, basically. <laughs> and it's also the security thing. Some 
Tracy would have to be very pregnant. That's what I'm yes. trying to say. A baby is the ultimate fanny. F- Somebody front would have to really matter. convince me that it's secure. Right. I, you know, when I read about your iPhone being stolen, Colin, yeah. and I just, you know, I, I, I wouldn't cut on a belt bag <laughs> to save you from that. I just, right. I just, they don't seem like the place to put important things. All right. So it's the opinion of the nose that we are, I think, not endorsing the return of the fanny <laughs> pack, <laughs> although. People like Kate can can pull it off, as Will, mm-hmm. Will Smith says in Men in Black. I, I can make this stuff look good. Uh, <laughs> that's exactly what he says. But um, And I would say my significant other also can take something like that and, and make it look uh, glamorous. Did she get she, one? Uh, I don't think I'm even at liberty to say. There's a restraining okay. order right now. Which, uh, <laughs> I've got the same lawyers as Paul Manafort. And, um, <laughs> there's a restraining order. I, I have probably said – enough to violate the restraining order already, just even in telling that story. <laughs> All right. So we, we really do have to move along here. Kate's nodding. <laughs> Get us out of this topic. So we are going to move along here. So who's going to switch up? The, um, the two people have to come, come aboard. We need Rebecca for this topic. So whoever doesn't want to talk about Rachel Bloom and Neil Patrick Harris, yield. Yield your space. Um, although I feel as though um, – Okay, somebody else. Oh, we're good. We're good. We're good. We got the money. Yeah, everybody's here. Uh, we're, this is like hockey. We change on the fly here. So um, the uh, Tonys were last Sunday. I was watching the Tonys last Sunday. Rachel Bloom uh, was had a, sort of a backstage job where she would grab people who were about to go on or had just come off and just kind of chat with them. Uh, Neil Patrick Harris, who with great skill, I would say, and Elan uh, has in the past hosted uh, the Tonys. And he, both he and Hugh Jackman are both superlative and James Corden for that matter. But he happened to be sitting home watching it and tweeting. And that never leads to trouble, obviously. You never get in any trouble doing stuff like that. So He's watching this and he says – he tweets that who is this person who's backstage wearing a top hat and saying like a lot, interspersing the word like uh, throughout her speech. Uh, and, uh, and he says none of this in a particularly flattering way. So first of all, Rebecca will now explain to you – to Neil Patrick Harris also uh, who Rachel Bloom is. So Rachel Bloom is the creator of the CW show Crazy Ex-Girlfriend that has occupied sort of a niche following on the CW. It hasn't, you know, received it's received great accolades. It just hasn't had the the listenership and the viewership that, you know, a show should really have on well, the CW. Although it's been endorsed many times on this show. Yes. Um, you, it's the, probably the only thing in the world that you and Mark Oppenheimer both like. Um, and and <laughs> I've, I've watched it and I like it. I think she's a very talented person. The perspective of the show really appeals to grown-up theater kids. So mm-hmm. if you were a big nerd that, like, loved Steve Sondheim and nobody liked to talk to you in high school, this is a show for you. Mm-hmm. She is this sort of bitter, funny, unstable woman who moves and and completely derails her whole career to follow a man and then uh, craziness ensues. There's a lot of musical numbers in it. It's very theatrical, very silly, but very, very smart and very aware of itself. Right. And 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 what she has not done is performed on Broadway, which means that she cannot be the host. And I, I'm not even sure she can, she can be a presenter or whatever. So but she's backstage doing this. They yeah. are about to put Crazy Ex-Girlfriend on Broadway as a Broadway show. So she's got precedent for it. I actually saw um, back in January, stage one had her singing songs from the show and I went to see that and that was the precursor of what now has become a full-fledged Broadway show that is coming next year, I believe. So, um, Kate, I think you and I had a very similar reaction to this, which was 
come on, you're Neil Patrick Harris, you know, like, why would you be doing this? Why would you're like really famous and kind of powerful? And but once upon a time, nobody knew who you were either. Exactly. Why are you doing this? Exactly. I, I, I thought Neil Patrick Harris came off looking like a, a, a slightly uh, embittered snide Dorian Gray with his uh, 27 million uh, Twitter followers. Not a good look. But but he was so famous and peppy and wonderful and happy just like, I don't know, last Friday or something. I mean, Tracy Wiefastenberg, can you fall that far that fast because you're a grumpy old man suddenly on Twitter for one night? I think he was also – wasn't he quoting his kid or something that his kid said? He was probably trying to be like, hey, I'm such a great dad and my kid's so funny. Did not think it through because rarely do people think things through before they tweet them. Um, and so I'm not sure whether it was as – bitter and grumpy as much as, you know, just poor thinking, not thinking it through and thinking that you're actually funnier than you are or that your kid's funnier than they are. I think it would have helped if he had actually apologized. Right. His apology seemed a little um, like somebody, like he bought an apology from some (laughs) place where they they supply one to you. Well, you know, there's Google. They're just Google who she was. Yes. Well, there's that. It was being pointed out to me that actually Neil Patrick Harris has, in fact, always been famous because he was Doogie Howser, which means that he probably never has known what it was like to be Rachel Bloom. Rachel Bloom is plenty famous anyway. But Elizabeth, there's but, another thing going on here. Who just who piped up? Oh, you. But you if you're gonna like, like talk like <laughs> that's that, where I was gonna go. Then, then like, I think that like it's like gonna be like like you know, I mean like you know, I, I looked at this and I'm like. <laughs> you know, See, I think so that's part of her shtick. Yeah, but you're fault? kind of setting yourself up as the Kardashians do with the same kind of the vocal fry and that kind of speech, those kind bad. of speech. Patterns. She wasn't Kardashian bad. I think that she's she absolutely <laughs> presents a persona and the the construct of Rachel Bloom. I mean, the character that she plays on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is named Rebecca Bunch. So you can see, I mean, the, the name is not that different. Rachel Bloom, Rebecca Bunch. And I think Rachel Bloom in and of itself has become this persona that she likes to play that is so similar to the character on the show. Which, which is lovely, but it does set you up for yeah, people making right. fun of that. She was playing a fan kind of at that yeah. moment. And fans maybe talk a little. I, I will say that occasionally, I don't know if it's ever been applied to you because I don't pay any attention to it. But every once in a while, I'll get um, I get lots of emails about how I talk. But every once in a while, I'll get emails about how somebody was talking on the nose. And specifically, emails about somebody saying like too much. And, and I, if I write back at all, I just say these are people talking in a very informal way. You know, they're not – paid to do this. <laughs> They're not, you know, it's not a scripted show. As long as show. the likes don't end up uh, impeding the actual content of the message, which I do find, and, and I chide my students about it. I say, wh- wh- all that last five minutes, there were about three things that made sense in there or that were real messages to me. The rest of it was like, so I'm like... Well, I had a French teacher who was like that. Yeah. Uh, wait, 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 <laughs> wait, 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 wait. That worked there. No. Who taught Comme ça? as you do. And it it really beat it out of us, I think, because he wouldn't even respond to a question or accept an answer without a slight mocking about the 27 likes that we all put out. I think out. you were supposed to say that you had a French teacher who was comme ça. Comme ça. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I wasn't crazy we, about uh, Rachel Bloom's stick at the Tonys, 
But my question was, where was the director? Did she get any direction? Right. And I, I get, I, I took it that they were trying to pull in the youth audience or something like that. And she had a silly hat every time they came back to her. Yeah, and and I do think if Tanisha were still at the microphone, I would hark back to our um, our conversation last week. Tanisha is actually not on the show today, but um, she was going to be on the show today, uh, where we were talking about this podcast where this uh, reporter Madeline Barron goes and and interviews people in the deep south about this horrible, horrible injustice. Uh, and, and occasionally when she's talking to like some white sheriff or something, she'll do that like talk. But my – and she'll do it almost as exaggeratedly as Liz, Elizabeth just did it. But my read on it is she's trying to disarm this person. She's <laughs> yeah. like I'm an empty-headed, airheaded, you know – public radio Girl. person from up north. Which uh, is a huge part of what Crazy Ex-Girlfriend plays into is that she likes to decide. She's a lawyer, but she comes off like this blithering idiot half the time. But she's smarter than everybody in the room. But she keeps people on their toes by coming off as this kind of bimbo. And I think that there's I think it's very difficult for her to divorce herself completely from the character because she's a writer. And I mean, she the persona that she's presenting to the public is written and an and archetype of the person that she might be a little bit of. But I think that there's probably more of that going on than, than meets the eye. You know, Tracy, we need to go to a break. But one thing that I would say is that I don't know. I'm amazed nobody has built an app that sits over your Twitter and just kind of pops up and goes, is that mean? Are you about to tweet something mean? You know, <laughs> It's sort of it's, like people always say you should have a breathalyzer on your phone before you call somebody or text somebody <laughs> after a certain time period yes. or that Gmail, the undo feature that, you know, gives you 30 seconds to undo an email. Right. They should probably put something on Twitter. <laughs> Kim Kardashian apparently just talked to Jack Dorsey about having an edit button on Twitter, which, yeah. I mean, that's going to revitalize the presidency for sure. <laughs> correct. Oh, he'll never use correct it. Correct his spelling. He'll never use can it. Can we use it? Um, for we, him? Can, can we view can we the past use edits, too? Can we edit but, Donald yeah. Trump's well, tweets? But it should, like, I mean, you know, my, my iPhone now, like, says, I just did a like, but um, my iPhone now tells me, it seems like you're in the car. <laughs> no, right? It seems like you're driving right now if I try to do something. So if my iPhone knows that I'm driving, Driving, the iPhone should also say, it seems like you're about to tweet something really mean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, should you do that? Maybe you should not tweet Twitter this. Twitter is not going to do anything to get in between it, its money uh, us and, and our, its customers. Yeah, yeah. Us and our limbic systems. All right. We're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and we're going to go totally Ocean's 8 at that point. She likes to sound like she's barely caring That's why she doesn't push much air through the larynx There's no comparing my vocal fry girl I just say what I say Vocal fry girl I'm talking so passe Vocal fry girl All right, now for the topic that really is responsible for me getting a whole lot of panelists together here for one episode of The Nose. Uh, it's our annual. It really is becoming an annual sh- thing in which a piece of culture is uh, purposed very specifically to bring a lot of talented women together. So we bring a lot of talented women together to talk about it. Uh, this time it's Ocean's 8. Uh, it's a, a heist movie, a caper movie. It's derived, of course, originally from the Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin Rat Pack uh, movie, which was then repurposed for, for Brad Pitt and George Clooney at all. Uh, and now Ocean's 8 uh, brings us Sandra Bullock, uh, Kate Blanchett, Anne Hathaway, uh, and uh, Rihanna, and a, a, um, a cavalcade of other stars. Um, so as is the, this is sort of a problem these days for podcasts. We can't get clips. I don't know why, but we can't get clips. 
And I'm noticing, I'm noticing other podcasts have the very same problem. So this is from the trailer. So this, it doesn't really sound anything. <laughs> this was not a good representation of what you will actually see and hear at the same time in the movie. But it's the best we can do. They're talking about the heist. And we are going to rob it. Not the ball itself. Oh, on the neck of Daphne Kluger. Valued at over $100 million. $150 million, actually. <laughs> Revenge. It's a twofer. That's just what they do. do not run a job in a job. Killer Swift? Can't we just go to this? Do we have to steal stuff? Yes. Is it genetic? Are the whole family like this? Literally. That last male voice that you hear is that of James Corden, who shows up at the end uh, as an insurance investigator. Uh, and well, anyway, I have things to say about this, but that I'm not on the panel. Um, so I just, I guess, we'll sort of just kind of start going um, uh, uh, around the rim here. Most most of the panelists, I think it's fair to say, uh, enjoyed this movie. They might have had some reservations about this. But the, so, Irene Papoulos, how did this movie land for you? Um, well, that trailer kind of, uh, in a way, encapsulated the whole thing in terms of, for me, it was a movie that was not fulfilling any of the usual categories that I like in a movie, like depth and psychological insight and, you know, good (laughs) characterization and all that stuff. But I absolutely loved it. And I think it was, you know, it was an escape in the best sense of the word. You know, there weren't any car crashes or explosions or things like that. And it was just fun. And I loved all the characters and I had a good time. Well, uh, you might enjoy all the other heist movies that are out there. And there's lots of them, too. Um, All right. Yeah, let's just go around the table. How about you, Tracy? I have to agree with Irene. Actually, when you proposed it, I was like, yeah, I love being on with these ladies, so I'll go see it. But it was nowhere near my list. Like, it wasn't even, like, anywhere on my radar to go see it. But I enjoyed it. I think I went in with low expectations, though, also. Um, I actually, Yeah, I I had run into Professor Kiefer um, before I went to go see it, you know, and she said, you know, it's fun. You know, there's there's this part of it and that part of it that's fun. I was like, okay, so fun. I can get on board with fun, but it didn't it didn't make me think. I didn't have to like try to wrap my head around things, um, except maybe some of the designers because I'm not good with fashion. Uh, but other than that, it, it was fun. All right, uh, it's also I should say stuffed with all kinds of cameos. Uh, so if you're up on Heidi Klum and people like that, there's like a whole bunch of other things that you can enjoy. Uh, you can also enjoy the fact that Anna Wintour is in this movie, considering the fact that Anne Hathaway, who's also in this movie, was in The Devil Wears Prada. Although nothing is ever really made of that. But all right, uh, Vivian, you're up. Well, I think we've maybe we've been trained now to look for different things in a summer movie because if this had been a movie that I had trudged through snow in February to go out for, <laughs> I would not have appreciated it. But being the timing, um, knowing that it's a big summer movie, I, I enjoyed it. And I, I, I kind of 
it's not that I hate myself for it, but I keep asking, <laughs> why do you like this right. uh, uh, movie? My brother, who went with me, suggested that it was, it was because people are hungry for something and there hasn't been anything really out there yet to pull people in. And that might be something um, to it. I mean, he subscribes to uh, EW, one of the few people I know who still does that. So well, I'm he gonna, has it delivered to his yes, house. Exactly, yeah. Yes, exactly. Yes. So <laughs> um, that's how deep he is into movies. Uh, so, um, so, so I think because it's a summer movie, we a lot of us seem to have come to this idea that it's a perfectly enjoyable movie. I think I think your producer said that, but it's not a perfect movie. It's 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 not a good movie, but it's, it it does the job for summer. Rebecca. Yeah, I mean, I agree with my fellow panelists. I think that it is a very fun movie. I laughed a lot. I laughed a lot more than I was expecting. I don't really recall laughing as much with the original Oceans movies. They seemed to be a little more serious about the heist. It tended to be, you know, a higher stakes. Um, there was more of that hyper-masculine, aggressive banter, whereas this was women sort of supporting each other. I mean, one of the, I don't want to give any spoilers, but one of the women joins the group purely because she wants female friends. I, I think that they're, you know, it's it's a little frothier than the Ocean's Eleven through 13, but I enjoyed it more. I think that there's less of that bravado and posturing, and it's more of a straightforward caper with eight women that seemed to me personally genuinely enjoyed being around each other. I genuinely enjoyed watching the characters interact. I thought that Sandra Bullock and Kate Blanchett had fantastic chemistry. I thought that the uh, the scene stealers, I think we all kind of agree, were Aquafina and Rihanna's characters, and I wish that they'd been given a little more screen time because they both were just really wonderful. I was surprised at at how compelled I was by Rihanna's acting. I wasn't really mm-hmm. wasn't really thinking that was going to blow me away, but she was really funny and and had good comedic timing. So I was very pleasantly surprised by it and really did enjoy it. I well, first of all, as the panel knows, I didn't like this movie at all. It's kind of <laughs> It's kind of awkward because I'm the guy here. But, I mean, I, one of the things I did not see is women enjoying each other's company. I, I thought that these women were very, very emotionally muted towards one another. There's a lot of the movie where they're all in a room, but they're not looking at each other. They're looking at a computer screen and just kind of talking straight ahead. There's not a lot of people looking at each other and seeming to like each other and enjoy each other. In fact, they almost never seem to get used to one another. You know, I mean, uh, Rihanna does play this hacker called Nineball, and everybody – I don't think anybody – it becomes friends with Nineball at all. I don't, and I don't see a lot of friendliness on this movie. Well, and one question that I had was, like, you know what this movie needs? It needs like Tiffany Haddish. You know, it needs like women who've been in really good buddy ensemble movies like Bridesmaids or, or Girls Girl, Trip. Or right. Girls Trip, right. Trip was great. You know, or, or even Pitch Perfect or something like that. And, and instead, most of these actresses do uh, – we haven't even mentioned Helena Bonham Carter <laughs> – you know, they're, most of them are really good at sort of acting alone and being alone. But there was a I f- that, that's interesting that you felt uh, I don't know if it's gender or what because I felt their camaraderie very strongly. But it was they didn't have to look at each other and smile and laugh. You know, they 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 were sort of engaged. They, there was a sort of understated. We all know we all know what we're doing here. We all know who we are. We all appreciate each other. We all know we're we're super different from each other. And we have a common goal. And there was just, I mean, definitely between Sandra Bullock and Kate Blanchett, didn't you feel it that you didn't feel like there was a there was a friendship? terse, possibly homoerotic thing going but, on, yeah, but I it didn't. I saw I them as go ahead. Yeah, I saw them as as partners, like good yeah. long term. Right. You know, whether it was romantic or not, I didn't know. I didn't care. Mm-hmm. You know, but it was like people who knew each other weren't going to let each other get pulled in some sort of BS. And I will also say the one thing that I did like about the female camaraderie is that oftentimes 
female groups are per, like portrayed as you know hugging and jumping around yes. and screaming and like you know girl guy, yeah girls girl yeah, sorority yeah, sisters like we're BFFs yeah, right. whatever hmm. and hmm. I actually don't have a lot of female relationships mm-hmm. that are like that all my closest female relationships are more like the hey yeah we're different but we get along we get each other we don't have to prove it in these like let's get matching bracelets type yeah. of way right. or, right. or I even mean, talk about it I right. think yeah. the example yeah. of pitch perfect is a good one to compare this because that is very much that sorority hyper feminine mm. we're besties we're gonna get matching t-shirts we're gonna go on vacation together and that has never been my experience with female friendships all my female friendships are dry cutting mean <laughs> exactly. and that's what I value in female <laughs> friendship because I can be myself around women in a way that I've never felt comfortable being around men and I think that to be able to be sarcastic and funny and and confident in each other's skills without necessarily rah-rah, you're such an amazing queen sort of thing. That's just not been my experience with female friendship. I thought this was very accurate to some of the more sarcastic, dare I say, masculine relationships that women have that, you know, I don't think we're necessarily always given the space and entertainment to explore. Um, I mean, I, I just didn't, I, but I'm, I'm presuming, Tracy, that you, your friend, you and your friends all get kind of a kick out of each other, which, which I rarely felt about these women. I just thought they were, seemed not, not terribly interested in one another. Uh, just like, just get this job done and get out of here. Uh, there were some exceptions, and, and it might be time to do a slight line change and get uh, Elizabeth and Kate back in here. I don't know whose turn it is to go sit down, you guys. Because women are so good at collaborating, I'm sure they can figure that out. Um, in a way that doesn't involve any jumping around and screaming either. Um, so, so even people who have not enjoyed the movie, and and I, I you know, I, first of all, I'll say it went by really quickly. It's not a particularly long movie, you know, and it's there's things it's to look at and things like, to enjoy, and there's right. things that I really liked a lot. And the, one of the things that I really liked a lot was Anne Hathaway. Um, and I'm not alone there. People who have not liked this movie, critics who have not liked this movie, everybody sort of says Anne Hathaway. Who, this isn't a spoiler. She's not part of the heist team. She's sort of a mark or at least uh, somebody who they're going to use to get to what they – and they're really going to exploit her to get to what they want. But in, to my way of thinking, she kind of captures the spirit of this kind of movie better than than anybody else does. But I just want to maybe go around and like get some Anne Hathaway takes because I, I know at least one of you doesn't entirely what agree with me she, about well, this. How does she capture the spirit? She's she's funny. I mean yeah. she's she's funny. She's mugging. She's you know she's really having some fun with the premise of all this. She's making some little jokes about her. I mean I'll just jump in and say that one of the things that I think Anne Hathaway is doing in this movie also is making fun of how she, Anne Hathaway, is perceived. Her right. performance is a joke about what people think about Anne Hathaway. And I think she pulls that off very, she's, very skillfully, too. Yeah, she's a really good actor, too. I mean, that that helps. But I don't think she gels with the rest of the group. But, no, because she's so much more because, fun than Right, <laughs> but that's true. That's true. But it's... Um, uh, I mean, I I would love to have been in the room when they sat around and decided who would be in here because clearly it's marketing and demographics, and if we get Rihanna, we get these people, and and so then it but it, but it doesn't work as it as it comes together. But um, so I do agree with you, Colin, on most of that about the interaction, though uh, the Sandra Bullock, Bullock and um, Kate Blanchett character. I want to know more about the jobs they've pulled together in the past, and I just I just wanted more about about uh, uh, the two of them as a which is one con of the things group. we talked about is right. that there were there were no backstories except for a brief little clip when they were teenagers uh, 
uh, playing dirty bingo or something. <laughs> but uh, otherwise, we didn't know why they came to be, especially the Sarah Paulson character. I wanted to know why she could, first of all, get away with a garage full of all that <laughs> yeah. stuff, and then why, why, how she came to that, why, what, and then ended up a, a, diff- a whole different person. So I, I felt like I didn't know what the motivations or the back, the e backstory was on many of these characters. I'm going to yeah. break. I'm going to break the fourth wall for a second here, uh, Vivian, because we're switching around. Mics get out of place. Just take that mic and just get your straight straight into your face, like you're eating an ice cream cone. No, other way, other way. There you go. Exactly. Uh, there you go. Ice cream cone style. So yeah, I mean, uh, can we just talk about Rihanna too? I mean, I thought Rihanna was fine, except that also she seemed very walled off mm-hmm. from yeah. everybody else. I, I was thinking, okay, there's a really terrible movie. Called, called Miss Congeniality 2. Um, okay? Yeah, and, and, yeah, yeah. And, but it has two things in it that this movie doesn't have. One of, the, one of them is Sandra Bullock doing the stuff that I like Sandra Bullock doing. Some, one critic, a female critic, wrote, we like Sandra Bullock because we can see her sweat, metaphorically. Mm-hmm. You know, when it, Whatever she's going through, we go through it with her. She kind of extroverts all of that. Like, mm-hmm. ah, I'm, I, don't, I don't know how to deal with this. Uh, and, and I love that about her. And I, she can play it for com- comedy. She can play it for drama. The other thing that movie has is kind of a buddy relationship that's really plausible. It's with Regina King, um, who I think starts out the movie not liking her and then just kind of they just sort of find each other. And I was thinking, that's, that's the other thing I want. I don't. Right. I want somebody like Regina King in there interacting with Sandra Bullock. I want like a group. I want a squad. I want a squad. Well, that yeah, seems I, like a squad. I think we're talking partly about writing and mm. partly yes. about about the direction. Mm. I think that Rihanna and uh, Aquafina were underused, yep. and uh, I wanted to know how. Uh, Aquafina, I don't even remember her character's name, but I, I wanted to know how she ended up in the park playing, uh, running a three-cart Monty scam. Mm-hmm. And I think there was a lot of possibilities about how a young person ends up running scams in the park that could have been developed. Also, we've got Kate Blanchett with totally hot style running a, a nightclub, a dance club, but yet we don't have any dance club scenes. Mm-hmm. And I think there were a lot of possibilities no, there. And she almost didn't seem like the type to water down vodka. No, I, I, well, maybe <laughs> to was, make money. I'm so, sure she, she takes so it straight. That it was hard to picture. But I, I mean, yeah. I guess you can't. It wasn't that kind of movie, though. You know, I mean, right. I, I agree but that they were all. just a little bit more. Uh, okay, just a little bit more, you're saying. Because yeah. all we I mean, got was a little with the, with the other characters. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was trying to remember. I didn't watch. I remember loving Ocean's Eleven when it came out. But I don't remember how much we really knew about the backstories of the characters and that. You know, I mean, there's a lot of people and it's only two hours. And, you know, I, I sort of felt like we could we could we could sort of imagine backstories for them in a mm-hmm. way that I found somewhat satisfying without right. necessarily having to know, because that, that would just be a different movie. Yeah, well, see, I could have done without the uh, the the uh, Anne Hathaway flashback kind of like uh, Orient Express flashback explaining how everything happened. I didn't need so much of that, and I didn't need the whole uh, Mission Impossible 
uh, last yes. scam at the end. Right. Yes. Need all that. Uh, although, I mean, there's a, uh, Vivian, there's a way in which these movies are built around certain visual and audio tropes. Or, you know, in other words, you kind of have to have little action sequences that are accompanied to like uh, a really strong drum line with a little bit of jazzy stuff over it. And I mean, to, if we like these movies, that's one of the things that you can't get rid of, right? right. There's a way in which there, there are these kind of quick cuts and music is played in the cuts and you just kind of have to have that stuff. Right. It's formulaic, but I guess we're looking, we, we go and we go knowing we're seeing a heist movie, but we still want the formula broken a little. Um, and one other thing, you, you had mentioned Regina um, King. Uh, King. Um, I, and I know that there are a lot of Rihanna fans out there, but for purposes of the casting, I would have preferred to have seen, um, if you're going to p- put an African-American, and we know that Rihanna is there in part, you know, because <laughs> they're trying to diversify it. Put a black actress in, mm-hmm. um, um, and uh, um, maybe you get something different. Um, yeah, you're saying, yeah. I mean, I, I wondered whether anybody had that reaction too. It seems to me, obviously, they're trying to hit some demographic spots, mm-hmm. and maybe the demographic spot, as Kate has alluded to, of having a, a black pop star in there. But it, you're also, you're, you know, just in the same sense. I mean, look. Madonna's not that great an actor. I don't think Lady Gaga's going to be that good in <laughs> The Star is Born. Justin Timberlake is just kind of okay, right. you know? Right. I mean, if you're going to have a one black person in this right. movie, yeah, how about having Tiffany Haddish or Regina mm-hmm. King or somebody with really some real significant acting uh, chops? I, I kind of felt that way, too. And, and going back to your point about the lack of com- camaraderie, which I also agree with you on, Colin, I think it's the difference here is we're talking about movies that were written for women, Versus mm-hmm. a movie that was written for men and then women take over the parts. And directed by a man. And, mm-hmm. and directed by a man. So maybe the camaraderie was n- not a part of the original movie as much and not in, in maybe some female senses of the word, although Rebecca brought up some good points. So that's the, another uh, issue that we talked about a lot about by email is these female reboots of male movies. Do mm-hmm. they work? Do we need them? With all the scripts that are floating around out there, do we do we need to be redoing male movies or not? I Maybe the sol- I, solution I, is to have Greta Gerwig uh, direct Oceans 2, and it'll <laughs> just be the, Clay, the Kate Blanchett and Sandra Bullock characters right. as young girls hanging around Sacramento, wondering if they're ever going to leave and go anywhere <laughs> and have any adventures. All right, in but, order just to have time to, for everybody's endorsements, uh, we might have to stop it. Did somebody have one? I heard sort of somebody well, uh, about yeah. to spit out one. I just want to say yeah. that I, I really think that it was a di- it was different. It didn't feel to me like, oh, let's just make women into the male parts and have the same male stereotypes. There was something about the women. Maybe it was the characters themselves. The, I mean, the actresses themselves. But I felt like it was different. And, and I look. it looks like um, Rebecca agrees with me. Uh, um, <laughs> she's, totally, she's totally squad girling you over there. Yeah. <laughs> there was something about those characters that felt didn't feel that felt like a womanly it was a movie about women it didn't feel like a movie about men that was just kind of like you know with women superimposed on it to me so all right so there we go i mean go see oceans eight unless you're like me and i didn't i you know i didn't resent it i laughed we didn't get to talk about marlo thomas and 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 dana ivy and elizabeth ashley Ashley and all these cool older women who just have the cameos the cameos were very cool anyway we have to go
My proposal is that we conduct a million woman day of intentional uptalk, vocal fry, and inserting like five times in every sentence until blood pours out of Neil Patrick Harris's ears. Today's show was produced by Joanna McPants and me, Kyone Wolf. Amanda Fish is in the all-female Aquaman reboot. The part of Bill Curry was played by Regina King. On Monday's show, the scramble, like, tackles, like, the nose of, like, the weekend. Like, can Paul Manafort, like, watch the World Cup in, like, jail? And now, back to the nose. I I like the vocal fry there. That was very well done. All right. So we have uh, six panelists. They all get to endorse various things. We'll start right here with Irene Papoulos. I just have, I can't, I've been here, I've been in Connecticut for 22 years, and the whole time there was going to be a train going to New Haven on Metro North, and now it's here, and it starts tomorrow, and it's going to be free tomorrow and Sunday, and I can't wait. So take the train to New Haven for free. All right. That's a great endorsement. All right. What have you got for us, Kate? All right. I want to endorse a book of poetry by uh, my friend, the late Susan Allison, who is the first poet laureate of Middletown. And her book is called Poet Laureate of Middletown, Proclaimed and Provoked. And one cool thing about it is that she pays homage, Susan pays, pays homage to Frederick Barrett, who lived at the turn of the century and was an Irish uh, working man poet who published in Middletown. Oh, by, by the way, it's being suggested to me that also New Haven people can come here for free and uh, Kion Wolf's um, uh, performance Asking for a Friend, her regular uh, game show at CT and Broad is tomorrow night. So you could, if you're in New Haven and you've never done a, a Kion Wolf thing, uh, you could take the train up here for free uh, and then find your way to Asking for a Friend. Uh, all right, I'm going to keep going in this direction and I'll circle back to you. Vivian, you're up. Yes. Well, June 16th, around that time, has always been considered the best bloom for the uh, roses and uh, Elizabeth Park. And this weekend is Rose Weekend. And there are Saturday and Sunday, there there's a day of poetry and a lot of other activities. Sunday at 2.15, Sinan Becker is doing, um, uh, he's an um, area um, jazz guitarist and composer, is, is doing a performance of the Lives and Times of Jean-Go uh, Reinhardt, a, a, a musician, uh, well, a jazz musician, Belgian-French, who lived a, 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 um, in the sort of Nazi occupation. Um, he's, uh, Mike McGarry is narrating it, and um, um, it's uh, it, 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 it should be pretty interesting. Sanan, uh, Sanan is very good. Um, my sister plays with him. She's a jazz musician, and um, it should be a pretty neat day. Yeah, I've actually heard about this thing a, a couple of times. It's been done in other yes, places. Yes, he has. Right? And, He's yeah. been doing it around the area. Um, so Django Reinhardt uh, in the Rose Garden. The Rose Garden, by the way, I live very near the Rose Garden, and it is – like as of four days ago, it hadn't really hit its peak because of the cold weather and stuff. But we, we're going to be pretty close anyway yeah. to, to getting into bloom. Uh, all right. So I'm slowing things down because we're actually going a little bit. Too, I was worried we wouldn't have time. Now we're going too fast. You can't win. All right. Go Should ahead. Should I speak very slow? Well, don't worry about that. Be uh, yourself. <laughs> so this is uh, Elizabeth Kiefer. And right now in Connecticut, there are 4,000 manufacturing firms. And we have approximately 13,000 jobs that are unfilled right now in Connecticut, uh, tool and die, machinists, uh, all the way up to engineers. And as Nuntuck Community College has really been a leader in getting these, uh, these young people into these jobs, not just young people too. And now Tungsys is starting our own program in advanced manufacturing certificates and two-year degrees. 
And these jobs pay well. They have great benefits. You work for great local companies that provide all kinds of things for you. And we're uh, now taking names for students for the fall. It's projected to start in the fall. And so if you go to the Tungsus website, you can uh, put your name on the list of getting some of these great jobs to help Connecticut uh, fill those needs. Yes. Or let's say you had a member of your family, a young member of your family who needs gainful employment. Maybe you yes. could talk him into filling that out. Not that I know. Anyway. And they pay well. Oh, yeah, exactly. I'm liking the sound of this. Um, <laughs> all right. So now I'm circling back over here to you, Rebecca. So I'm actually going to endorse the book that we are covering on next week's Nose. Mm-hmm. Um, I just finished it this week. It's called The Power by Naomi Alderman. It is absolutely fantastic. I really encourage you all to, if you can read it. Wait a minute. Is it next week or in two weeks? Two weeks. Two, two weeks, weeks. Sorry. Two weeks, yeah. I don't know what year it is, let alone what week it is. Yeah. Two <laughs> weeks from now. So you've got even more time to read this book, and then you can listen in with us and uh, engage in the conversation, which I think is going to be really exciting, and I highly recommend it. So The Power by Naomi Alderman. Read it in two weeks, and then listen in, and we will discuss it. Yeah. Rebecca and Kate, who are both on today, plus Rand Cooper, will be part of that. But I really... I, I'm so glad that you brought it up because I'm really hoping that we can get a lot of people to read the book so that the conversation will make more sense to you. And Carlos Mejia, uh, who's kind of our new digital czar here, and I are going to be having some conversations. We're going to try to find some ways for there to be a parallel conversation going on and not just sort of people tweeting back and forth too. We're going to see if we can find some piece of interactive technology or something where people who've read the book – it's going to be hard to take phone calls I think. But I'd love it if the people who uh, out there in the audience had read Read The Power by Naomi Alderman, which is so gripping that I actually had to put it down the other night because I there was like something I couldn't read before I fell asleep because I would not be able to sleep. I read it in 24 hours and I reached the last segment and I had to go do something. And I said, now listen, I'm going to have to either do this and come back and not be interrupted or you just need to leave me alone for two hours so I can finish this and then I can move about with my life. Wait, so. did you do nothing but read for 24 straight hours? Not 24 straight hours, but I finished <laughs> it in 24 it's hours. It's a pretty fast so. read, actually. Yeah, it's a quick read. You'll, you'll definitely get your hands on it, read it, and we'll see you in two weeks. All right. Uh, Tracy Wu Fastenberg. So mine is less of a, a recommendation than a sort of... Um, an exhortation? Uh, maybe something An like imprecation? That. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, for about a week and a half, we had a lot of um, news and discussions about suicide, suicide prevention, mental health, um, with the suicides of Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain and how it sort of all affected us. Um, but we've seen a big dying down of those discussions. Um, and we saw a lot of people saying, oh, here's the suicide prevention hotline uh, number. You should call if you're feeling this way. And I just want to remind folks that, you know, sometimes somebody who is in the depths of their depression, they're not going to reach out. They need people in their lives to reach into them um, and also to keep the conversation going, keep educating ourselves, keep growing our understanding um, and not just letting it die with the next news cycle. That really is a great point. And we uh, you know, obviously did circulate all these, uh, that, that phone number and stuff last week as we talked about Anthony Bourdain. Um, all right. So I have way too much time uh, left over, but I will use some of it to That's salute. That's because you're the man. To salute all of you, yes. <laughs> so I'm very uncomfortable being the man at this moment. But anyway, um, so I, I want to mention two HBO um, series, and I want to mention them. I think I can sort of connect them in a kind of negative way to what we've been talking about today. One of them is Barry, which is Bill Hader's series that's about a guy who's kind of an exploited hitman. Man, if there can be such a thing, who winds up in L.A. to do a job and then kind of falls in love with acting, but acting in very much the L.A. style of things. So in your theater class, you actually only really rehearse movies. And if you if you rehearse Glengarry Glenn Ross, it's the movie version and stuff like that. Anyway, uh, it's funny. And there are also, I mean, there are these kind of crazy Chechen hitmen who um, introduce an element of real danger into it. Uh, I'm going to endorse also, I've only seen the first two episodes because that's all there are, uh, Succession. 
which is an interesting series uh, produced by my friend Frank Rich. Uh, and it also looks very interesting. Brian Cox is this sort of Rupert Murdoch cum King Lear uh, who's trying to or either cede or not cede his empire. But let me just say something about those two things, apropos of what we've been talking about here today, because it's the problem. It's the, it's the reason that Ocean's Eight exists as far as I'm concerned. So succession is really King Lear, except that, that Brian Cox, his character, has three sons and a daughter, um, which is kind of the way that ratio goes, I think, in te- television and movies these days. He's got three sons and a daughter and he's got a wife. So, I mean, a lot of this is going to be male conversations that fail the so-called Alison Bechdel test, right? You know, and, and it's the same thing with, with Barry. Barry's terrific, but at the moment there's one female character and a lot of male characters. Like people think, well, we've got one female character in here. And that's why there is an Alison Bechdel test, I think, too. So, I mean, these are both really good series, but they would probably be better if people thought about them a little bit more that way. All right, I'm getting your head to nod, so that's good, right? No, I've seen both and I completely agree with you. I just finished the second episode of Succession and I had the same feeling. I really like it. I want to love it. But yeah. I, I was been irritated the whole time that we're really we're gonna see a bunch of men squabbling. Right. Time. And that, this, that actress who plays Shiv is, Shiv is, is fabulous. She's tremendous, but she is apparently going to carry the double X chromosome load the, the, <laughs> for you know pretty much the whole series, except for the Marcia. The she's a dark horse. Marcia, Watch yeah, out she, for she Marcia. So um, those things. So we debated about whether to talk about uh, World Cup soccer today. Um, and Kate really wanted to do it. Um, and uh, the other question would be like, what would we say about it? Irene's main. A way of rating the soccer team seem to be in terms of what we might call the female gaze. Yes. Um, <laughs> They're the cutest of all the sports, the yeah. soccer guys. One thing that I'm going to recommend if you want sort of a way in, a way into World Cup soccer – uh, is uh, some just discover men in blazers. Men in blazers are these two uh, British guys who don't take World Cup soccer too seriously. You could start with their Twitter feed, which is very very funny, uh, but they also have podcasts. They're touring the United States right now. They just did a podcast from St. Louis, which they, in their very British way, kept referring to as St. Lou. Uh, but they're very funny. Men in blazers. They can kind of get you to know some inside jokes and stuff uh, about uh, football, as they would call it. Uh, although they make a big show of calling it soccer as well. Did you have one thing you wanted to say about World Cup? Soccer? Yeah, you know, I heard the uh, one of the men in blazers today on the radio, yeah. and he reminded us that women's soccer championship is in 2019. So I'm really looking forward to that. And I also heard something on uh, NPR about how you can engage and the different reasons why you might pick a team. So I'm going to root for uh, Peru because they haven't made it in 36 years. And I'm going to root for Senegal because it's Senegal and because Paul Doyle had an article in The Guardian today about the five uh, African, African continent yeah. teams who, uh, who are in, in the mix and might make it. All right. And Senegal is going to be really good, actually. All right. We have to stop there. Although the last thing that I was going to say is yesterday I didn't have to do a live show. So I was at liberty to wander around. And I went down to Bushnell Park. And, you know, food trucks in summer, food trucks are – they get some great food trucks down by Bushnell Park. Uh, I went to one called Full Circle. And it was – and it had delicious burrito. But they had all kinds of other cool stuff. So don't forget the joys. I don't know. New Haven kind of overdoes it a little bit with that whole zone of food trucks. But don't forget food trucks. They're fun. 